Welcome to episode one of Energy in 30. We'll use the next 30 minutes to explore how utilities and the industry are reacting to forces that are shaping new offerings for customers in order to meet decarbonization goals. If you're a utility manager, consultant, technology provider, or just curious about energy, we hope to push your thinking about the changes that are happening in the energy industry with me, David Meisegeier. And me, Joan Collins. So, Joan, why are we doing this podcast? Well, you know, David, because I think the trends or forces are more dramatic now and the timelines are getting shorter to act. It's it's something that's really on my mind more than it ever has been in my career. And I think it's just really important to create platforms like this where we can bring in like-minded innovators together virtually and deconstruct um, some of the issues around this and maybe activate the how we're going to move the needle and quickly. But what do you think, David? Well, I feel that too often we get stuck with our heads down delivering programs, but there are big things happening and we wanted to use this opportunity to bring in others from the industry to discuss some of the big trends and in doing so help us lift our heads up above the day to day. And Joan, why do you think anybody would want to listen to us? I know you don't think anyone wants to listen to us, David. I'm I'm questioning it. (laughs) You know, um, we will be having some compelling guests on, so that'll help. But in all seriousness, the two of us have a lot to share. We've been in the industry a really long time. um, And I think we have an incredible network of thought leaders that we can pull in for these kinds of discussions that we're going to have today. I mean, David, haven't you been in the industry for like 30 years? I have. In fact, my first project out of college was doing energy modeling that led to the creation of the Green Buildings Program, and that turned into Energy Star. I also helped develop and implement the Energy Star New Homes Program, which now has over 2.3 million certified homes, so really tremendous success. And it's been great to be part of that history and to have worked with utilities on innovating new solutions and offerings. And Joan, you've got a diverse background beyond energy too, right? I do. I mean, I have a solid 20 in energy, you know, a little less than you. Um, And by the way, your background is incredible. Um, But before I worked in in energy, I was in manufacturing and telecom. And, you know, I've seen a lot. (laughs) I've seen a lot of successes and I've seen a lot of failure. Um, and, you know, in, in manufacturing, I saw transformation from data going from the plant floor up into the ER systems or ERP systems. And, you know, this really transformed the industry, being able to customize products and move them to market faster. And in telecom, I watched the, you know, wires and satellites create uh, basically a customer craze, right, through um, through communications, and then then the telecom community decided to get into households and build meters, and yeah. that was my bridge over into energy. So That's awesome. I know, and you know they they move so quickly. Um, in my opinion, it felt like there was true transformation in both of those stints, which weren't very long. Of course, there's a lot probably of history behind those, right? Mm. But you know, here we are. It's like 
20 years later, 30 for you, and I kind of feel like we share the same maybe kind of level of frustration, like this has to happen now. We have got to get customers to adopt some of these um, initiatives, right, to, to get to some of these goals that we're, we're trying to reach. And That's true. Um, very true. Yeah. Though. Yeah. So today's episode is focused on innovation, which I know is something that you and I really love to talk about. And to do that, what better way to, to ask the why do we need to innovate, the how and uh, what new things are coming down the pike than our very own Kevin Duffy, who's today's guest. Um, <laughs> Kevin is an urban planner by trade, energy innovations guru by choice, and he's been working with utility clients throughout North America on finding customer solutions, especially as the industry faces unprecedented challenges. Kevin's ICF's lead on our innovation incubator. He's going to talk more about that today. And Kevin, we really thank you for joining us. Welcome. Joan and David, thanks for having me. I, uh, I have to say I am honored to be your very first guest. And I also want to say that um, this is this is really um, critical that we have these discussions. I'll, I'll echo what you were saying earlier because we have, you know, I think the cards are stacked against utilities right now. What do you mean? What do you mean the cards are stacked against utilities? Well, let me count the ways. I, you know, we have increasing goals for energy efficiency and and DR, and we have you know goals for decarbonization. We need to provide a reliable grid. We need uh, to focus on resilience moving forward. You know, we also have digital savvy customers that are becoming even more savvy with each and every new device that comes out onto the market. And they're expecting to have more power over the way they use energy and where their energy comes from. Um, you know, with the increasing penetration of solar, the declines in battery costs. Uh, it's it's critical that utilities start thinking about ways to to partner with their with their customers. And then on the other side of the equation, you have regulators and interveners, and those directives have not slowed one bit. So we're really uh, in the utility space in in kind of in between a, a rock and a hard place. So Kevin, I I I think it's it's you know, to hear kind of your take on why you think the cards are stacked against and really the need to innovate. Um, what what are some of the methods around, you know, the hows of of how how to innovate? Because it's it's seems to me like there's sometimes we get tripped up around things like piloting and, and um, initiatives like that. I agree, Joan. We have to be innovating more quickly because right now time is of the essence. You mentioned it earlier. Gone are the days of ad hoc piloting. Uh, no more three, four year uh, pilots spending an exorbitant amount of resources um, with I, little to show for at the end. I, right. I, I have heard people say death by a thousand pilots before. <laughs> oh, I know. Great. It's so true. It's so true. And, you know, you asked about how we're supposed to do that. Well, you know, at ICF, we have a philosophy. Fail fast, succeed faster. And I'm sure a lot of folks have have heard uh, the, the phrase fail fast. And the way that we do that is 
the Innovation Incubator. Um, we currently have over 360 ideas in the incubator, and uh, right now we have over 40 projects in flight. And what the Innovation Incubator is, is it's a, a nine-step process uh, where you can terminate, you can accelerate ideas, uh, and this is all based on metrics and reporting mechanisms that reflect our utility clients' specific priorities. You know, we take every step um, to identify and validate uh, whether an idea can, can offer new information. And then we also want to make sure that we can quickly pivot, uh, whether it's a worthy idea or not, and reduce risks in, in the process. Um, but at the same time, we want to make sure that whether we're failing fast or succeeding even faster, we're capturing all those learnings so we can let data drive the decisions that we make on future projects. So Kevin, I, I hear what you're saying, and I'm trying to reconcile that with death by a thousand pilots. So how is what you're talking about different than the traditional way that utilities might have conducted pilots in the past? It's a great question. Uh, so typically, you know, in the past, a utility will will have um, filed with their respective public service commission and then waited until the next fiscal year comes around or the next cycle comes around. And then they start a pilot that's been very well scoped out and month by month, maybe even week by week, and they spend the next several months, a few years, measuring and validating and measuring and validating and then at the end sometimes the the results don't either don't prove out or nobody nobody knows who owns the results or uh, whoever was leading the pilot may have moved on and so what we've done is we've really tried to to squeeze that uh, into into just a a more agile uh, agile project management um, hmm. structure. Can you explain th th what that means? I've heard the term more with regards to IT projects, but but what does that mean to you with regards to pilots? Oh yeah, I mean, I feel like we hear agile all the time. I know, I know, I hear it all the time too. I, it seems like everyone I talk to throws the word agile around. Um, and I think a lot of times it is just jargon, uh, you know, but I think it's important to recognize that a lot of organizations have really good intentions when they um, when they when they set out to do innovative things. The problem is, is when, uh, you know, you have one one innovation group within a very large organization with many business practices and many different um, just a lot of bureaucracy, right? You you kind of get lost in the shuffle. And so it, a lot of times um, innovation in large organizations becomes innovation theater. And um, and what I mean by that is that, you know, every now and then uh, a group of, of folks will organize a design sprint or some some type of design thinking exercise, but then real work doesn't get done. 
So it's really just the theater of, of Agile. What I mean by Agile methodologies and Agile me um, mindset is using actual project management that, well, let me take a step back. I mean, really this started with software developers and you know, we've had to, obviously we're not design, we're not software developers by any means, um, but we do have to be innovative. And that's one way that startups and software developers manage their products from the beginning. And so what we've done is we've customized agile methodologies to meet our needs for the industry. So we've combined Scrum and some other methodologies, uh, and it takes a, a really well-defined overarching vision and basically just just breaks it down into really, I guess, palatable chunks. So it empowers all the members of the team um, to take a ball and run with it. So we do these these sprints um, that are, you know, part of a story and perhaps even part of an epic, what we call it. Um, and so it breaks it down into chunks, and then all the the members of the group are um, are capable of 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 running with the ball. And I guess I should stop there and thank my team because I do have a rock solid team of project leads. We can call on our data scientists that we have on the analytics team at ICF. We've got marketing and IT professionals across the board. We can call on our call center when needed. So really any wraparound service um, to deliver projects. So that way our tech vendors and our subcontractors can just focus on their core competencies and you know, I, it's it's my humble brag, but I I really I I just think that you know remaining agnostic to tech, um, and and vendors has just been a strength of ours, um, and and then that way we can provide the turnkey solution to make these agile methodologies and program management effective. So, you know, just to just to kind of s separate the way things have been done in the past to the way that we want to do them now is. In the past, we used waterfall methodologies, and these project management th these project management methodologies were developed by um, engineers and were very effective back in the 60s and 70s. But we need to, to move much more quickly nowadays, um, particularly because of all the market disruptors, and Agile uh, allows us to do it. So, is it kind of like moving? or in parallel, having lots of things happening in parallel than, than in series? Yes, exactly. You hit the nail on the head, you know, in, in waterfall, typically one thing has to happen before another thing can begin. And in agile, you can be working on multiple things at once, not having to wait for somebody to approve something um, and basically always, always moving along. So it's really interesting. So you can try and shorten time frames, try and and do more things in parallel. That 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 seems like a great strategy. What happens though if utilities don't have funding for pilots? Because I know some do, um, but many don't. So what can those utilities do? Great point. Yeah, we we run into this a lot. We are very lucky and fortunate in, in some situations where utilities do have mechanisms for, for funding pilots and projects like this, and, and in others we're not. And, you know, it, it really comes down to creativity. 
Um, the first thing I would say is go to your regulator. You know, let's let's start lobbying for the ability to test technologies more rapidly um, w without being penalized. Uh, I think that's you know that that's more of a long game, but it's it's imperative that regulators um, get on board with the need to move more quickly. And then you know I think the more aggressive short-term options would um, would really be one of two things. One, either we can con we can conduct like really rapid viability assessments that don't cost a lot of money, find that minimum viable product to test it, and just get enough information out of the 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 small scale tests without spending a lot of money to determine whether it should be scaled out. Um, and you know. Sometimes this can work, sometimes it doesn't. Another way to do it, it would be to um, share, you know, I guess I guess you could call it like an ecosystem investment. Uh, this is a really creative way to fund these kinds of uh, these kinds of projects. Um, you know, you could do it with other utilities that uh, want to learn the same lessons. Um, you can do it with. Uh, with vendors, you know, I've I've heard of, uh, you know, we we work with utilities uh, with uh, by using an innovation fund, where we share okay. resources across the board, uh, which has been really effective. I really like that that, um, what did you call it? The the minimal viable solution or product? Yeah, minimum viable product. Yeah, I really like that, and I'm I'm like looking at your statistics, and I'm thinking three three sixty ideas. 40 projects like is that kind of how you got there yeah well that's a that's, that's a good question well i mean for 40 projects i should say uh, among several utility clients um and yeah it, it really is you know i think that if we were doing 40 projects the way that pilots were being done um back in the day it, mm -hmm. it would be nearly impossible and we would need an army's worth of of staff <laughs> to pull it off but yeah right. um you know by by determining a minimum viable product it makes it much more viable so what what are you seeing as you know promising technology on the on the near term radar yeah what so, gets you excited yeah, well, well, a lot. Uh, there's there's so much out there, and I think a lot of it really. I, I hate to um, even start talking about specific technologies without acknowledging the fact that it really depends on the utility. Um, you know, no no utility is the same, and that's why we we look at each idea through the lens of you know our utility clients, and you know one one. Um, project that we're working on right now. Actually, it's uh, with a couple of different ut uh, utility clients is a super efficient all electric homes. And, you know, I, br I bring this one up because. You know, one, the market is driving the demand, which was kind of a surprise to us uh, when we started working with builders. We realized that there is a market there. And two, I think that when we start thinking about the way it looks, not just in terms of um, traditional programs, but you know the the future of partnering with customers and the future of partnering with municipalities, we can start to look at it um, at a development level or even a community based level where you know suddenly we can introduce components like flexible load management 
and um, a number of other community-driven um, uh, ways to, to de decarbonize and uh, save folks uh, on, on energy and giving, giving customers the opportunity to play a role in, uh, in that is going to be really important moving forward for the industry. There's a whole lot more tech too. I I could go on and on, and I'd be happy to if you'd like. I do. I do. I, I'd, <laughs> I'd love to hear some specific examples of of some things that you're seeing. Yeah. You know, um, there. Well, there's there's a couple that that I'm really excited about. But I I I would like to plug. Uh, you know, I mentioned earlier that it really depends on the utility and what makes sense for them in order to to test or whether to make a measure or whatnot, um, you know, I usually recommend conducting an uh, emerging tech assessment where we take uh, a laundry list of, of technologies. I think it's like 150 emerging technologies and uh, measure them up against criteria uh, that, that we established specifically for a utility client. And then we scan the market and um, based on diff different readiness levels, we create a ranking. Um, just to build a pipeline for for any given utility, and you know some of the, some of the technologies that have come out of that has been something as simple as smart plugs, but then you know there's also like liquid submersion at at data centers for servers, which is a really what? cool one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a really cool one. I mean, I think I think it's no surprise that um, you know it costs a lot of money and um, uses a lot of energy in order to cool data centers. And one new technology that um, is is you know getting to the point where it's it's reaching uh, uh, commercialization across the board is liquid submersion. So they're literally sinking the um, servers into uh, a liquid. It's not water or anything like that. I I don't know exactly the. You have to talk to my chemistry teacher to to, right. to find out what it actually is. But um, you know they submerge. Steven, did you the, know about that? You know I did that. not. No. <laughs> Very, very cool and saves a lot of energy. Uh, there's also, um, you know, there's also smart homes has been getting me really excited too. Um, and, I, you know, I, I always um, preface smart homes by saying I'm not talking about connected homes. I think a lot of folks have, you know, their Alexa or Google Home and they, um, they might have a, a doorbell or they might have um, you know, a camera or something like that. I'm talking about smart homes or intelligent homes where we're empowering customers through AI to to mm. control their energy costs and the allow the utility. Yeah, well, exactly. You know, the, that, that way the utility can can manage the load through through those means as well. Uh -huh. That's true. <laughs> so you're actually you're actually able to develop uh, a solution that meets both customer and utility needs at the same time. Yeah, and I think that's the end goal. I mean, the the more the more work we do, it's like we want to be solving for customer problems, but at the same time, um, you know, it has to be mutually beneficial, and that's one way to do it. What about on the gas side? Any any gas technologies that you're you're tracking? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I I would kick myself if I didn't bring up a, a, a gas solution. Um, and you know, I think right now there. It, and I think it's a good opportunity to actually talk about readiness, tech readiness, and um, natural gas heat pumps or absorption heat pumps right now 
are getting really close to residential commercialization. They've been in the, the CNI space for some time. Um, the AFUE ratings have been testing at 120 percent uh, and more uh, up to, you know, 140 percent, which is like huge savings over traditional natural gas fired uh, furnaces. Um, so, you know, I, you know, there's a there's a couple of different uh, manufacturers that that have been in the CNI space that are now starting to venture into residential space. This is going to be something to look out for. Um, there, there's more and more interest on behalf of utilities to start looking at this, uh, despite the fact that it's not commercially ready yet. Uh, it will be soon. Fascinating. So fun. I love talking about all these innovations. I think we, the three of us have that in common. We're going to switch tracks just a little bit though. So here you go. This is a big one. Are you ready? Big question. Fire. Okay. <laughs> If you could do just one thing to change the industry, no limits, what would you do? Oh man, I knew this was coming. This is like the uh, this is like the magic wand question, right? <laughs> <laughs> I hope I don't get in trouble for something I say here. Um, so, well, I guess um, just one. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Just one. Well, I I'll, I'll tell you what I'm gonna I'm gonna do two because they go hand in hand. So first off, let's let the regulators deal with the overarching policies with consistency. Like no matter what political party is in office, let's let them work on the big problems we face as as a people, like climate change. You know, rather than what what fuel a customer is using. And then on the flip side, let's let utilities figure out how best to alter their business model. And, you know, I think that really comes down to the culture changing um, and then just meeting the needs of their customers. And we're seeing this, you know, firsthand, um, solving for customer problems ac across the board, um, you know, let the utilities provide the cleanest most cost-effective solutions, whether they're supplying the fuel or not, and also while addressing their grid needs. And I think we kind of touched on this a little bit before. Um, but you know, in terms of like this this large-scale change, it's it might involve changing the revenue model. And I guess that's a discussion for a different day, and definitely above my pay grade. But the, that would be what I'd really just love to change, just to open up the market on innovation. <laughs> And there's a lot of cool stuff that New York has been exploring on on changing utility revenue models as well, uh, and other states too. So there's there's definitely uh, some stuff there for sure. Really, really uh, interesting answers and insights there, Kevin, uh, and and great examples of, of of solutions that can address customer and grid needs as well as the needs of our planets. And like I say, Joan, you know, when we started out, I was really questioning what we were doing with this podcast, but now I think I get it. It's kind of cool to talk with people like Kevin and just like we're sitting around the water cooler and back in the office or back at the conference scene and, and chit-chatting. So it's a, this is a really cool format. David, I'm so glad to hear you say that. I guess that means you're going to be my co-host going forward. 
And Kevin, thank you so much again for joining us today and sharing your expertise on innovation. It was a fascinating and insightful discussion. We really appreciate having you on. It was so much fun. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Kevin. And for the rest of you, if you've enjoyed listening to Energy in 30, please subscribe, share, rate, and review our podcast. And you can look to March for our next episode with guest Paul Martini. Paul's the executive director of the Pacific Energy Institute, PEI, and he has two very new and compelling white papers out with PEI called Customer Resource Management Evolution and Revolution and a Gambit for Grid 2035. We promise to continue to tackle how utilities and the industry are reacting to forces that are shaping new offerings, requiring a continual evolution in customer engagement, including themes like equitable engagement, flexible load management, decarbonization, and electrification. Okay, well, David, that's all for now. We look forward to having all of our listeners join us for our next 30 and 30.